ESPN 94.1 FM and AM 930 present The Drive. Elmore deep, left side three, and good! From 30 feet, John Elmore! The Drive with Paul Swan. Welcome in, it's the Friday, May 11th edition here on ESPN 94.1 FM and AM 930. I'm your host, Paul Swan. Coming up this hour, we're going to hear from a soon-to-be-inducted Hall of Famer. Jerry Tippin's going to join us on the program. Now, it was announced a couple of days ago that Jerry, among with a few other members of the media, were inducted into the W. Pitt Page School of Journalism and Mass Communication. Now, they'll have ceremonies later on, but they're going to be inducting five new Hall of Fame members. And one of the names you will know instantly is Frank Gardenia. He is going to be in now. Another name that if you follow Kentucky Athletics, you know this name right off the bat is Jerry Tipton. Graduated from the school in 1973. He's been with the Lexington, Kentucky Herald Leader. He's the beat writer for the University of Kentucky men's basketball program. Been doing that since 1981. So he's going to join us on the program. We're going to talk to him just to kind of uh, get a feel for his career. For those of you who don't follow him as much and just talk a little bit about uh, covering the Uni- University of Kentucky Wildcats. That's what we're going to do this hour. And, of course, we'll get your phone calls in, 304-399-8255. You can also be a part of the f- program toll-free, 877-420-8255. So that's where we're going to focus today. And, of course, we'll get you caught up on everything else that's happening in the world of sports. But uh, I do want to note, before we continue, that a former president of Marshall University has passed away. Now, what makes this significant is, of course, uh, the fact that a lot of things happened under the tenure of Robert Hayes. He passed away at 92. And he was a Clarksburg native. He became president of Marshall in 1974. Served as uh, interim president earlier that year. That was after the resignation of John Barker. Hayes served until his resignation in 1983. And he's responsible for the creation of the Marshall Community College for non-traditional students. Also, he is responsible for the establishment of the Marshall Medical School and, under his watch, the Cam Anderson Center. So that's important for a lot of Marshall sports fans there. But... He definitely got a lot of things done on campus, so we want to acknowledge his passing today at the age of 92. And here's what Jerome Gilbert, president currently at Marshall University, said. He said, Bob Hayes was one of our institution's truly great presidents in the modern era. During his tenure, he transformed Marshall University by securing support to start the School of Medicine. I had the good fortune of being able to meet with President Hayes on a number of occasions since I became president and I always went away with a better understanding of Marshall's history and his legacy. He was a great leader, a fine gentleman, and a true son of Marshall. Now, the medicine school is very important. The Cam Henderson Center is important from the sports standpoint. That might not be the biggest accomplishment, but for our purposes, That's significant for what we usually talk about because the Camp Henderson Center was, at the time, it was a boon for Marshall University to get this brand-new, modern basketball arena. Now, I don't think the arena has aged well, and that's definitely not a result of anything 
uh, coming from the administration. But at the time, it gave Marshall a modern facility, probably led to some success in basketball. Facilities always seem to have that effect. You go from the field house. Now, I never got to watch Marshall play in the field house. I've seen basketball in the field house. I know what it's like. But I was never truly there for Marshall basketball in the field house the way I was there for the Henderson Center. Henderson Center was a big deal. I'm a young kid, and I'm getting to go to basketball games for the first time and experiencing the Henderson Center. And it was always uh, it was always fun to get tickets early. Had to sit up in the higher upper seats because, well, tickets were hard to come by at that time. It was great. Fantastic atmosphere. Saw a lot of great basketball in the day in Henderson Center. And a lot of that is possible because, well, you had a president who was able to get that funding, make that happen, secure that facility for the basketball program. And so we acknowledge that. Love to see more upgrades to the Henderson Center If you're not going to build a new facility, at least try to upgrade the facility you have. And they've done some over the years. They've got the locker room. They've remodeled that. Of course, you've got the big green room. Fans take advantage of a few little amenities here or there. Not enough, really, I think, to keep pace. They're trying with uh, some new digital scoreboards. So they're going to try to really spruce up the place they best they can. And I know Dan D'Antoni, when he came in to Marshall, that was a big priority for him. It's like, hey, look, we got to do some things around here. We can't neglect these things. And I know it's easy to get into that path where you neglect these things, but you, you got to take care of this stuff. I mean, fresh coat of paint. Come on, give me, give me something here. And he's got some stuff done. He's really got it spruced up. And I think you've seen the results there that facilities are important. And that's where the Cam Henderson Center came in. It was important to Marshall basketball in the 80s. And Marshall had a great run of success in the 80s. Now, Dan's been able to do something that no one else has been able to do, win in the NCAA tournament, first victory for the Thundering Herd. I mean, that was um, that was an achievement in itself right there. But Marshall's early success, uh, sort of a uh, perfect storm. you got, you got a coach came in. You've got the right talent. You've got a facility that was – at the time, probably the best in the league when they were playing in the Southern Conference. Definitely attracted a lot more fans to come in. Same thing with the football stadium. Marshall's football attendance went up when Jones C. Edwards Stadium, which was then Marshall Stadium, opened up. Fans came out, new facility. It was um, it was a sight to behold at the time. You, know, you go to a Marshall football game, and you've never seen that many fans. Uh, when the stadium opened up, Marshall played New Hampshire, and over 33,000 were attendance, and you're like, wow, this is pretty pretty big for, for Marshall football at that time. So we, um, we mourn the loss of the former president of Marshall University, Robert B. Hayes, passing away at 92. So when we come back from break, we're going to turn our attention to a, a favorite son of Marshall, just uh, honored now. He's going to be inducted into the W. Pitt Page School of Journalism and Mass Communication Hall of Fame along with uh, several other names, including uh, Frank Gardenia, who we'll try to get on the show on a later date. But Jerry Tipton, who graduated from the school in 1973, joins us when we come back from break. This is The Drive on ESPN 94.1 FM and AM 930. Now, back to The Drive with Paul Swan on ESPN 94.1 FM and AM 930. 
Welcome back to the Friday, May 11th edition. It's The Drive on ESPN 94.1 FM and AM 930. I'm your host, Paul Swan. Well, uh, we've been talking about it briefly. Uh, Marshall University announced the WPIP-Page School of Journalism and Mass Communication. They're going to induct five new members into the Hall of Fame, and a couple of names you know include Frank Gardenia, 1976 graduate, and Jerry Tipton. If you're a U.K. fan, you know Jerry Tipton from his work with the Lexington Herald-Leader. He's been the beat writer for the University of Kentucky's men's basketball program since 1981. He joins us on the program now. And, uh, Jerry, it's been a while, but uh, thanks for joining us, and congratulations on your honor soon to be uh, in the Hall of Fame. Well, thank you. It's, uh, it came as something of a surprise, maybe a very big surprise, but uh, – a really pleasant surprise. Yeah, I'm very happy about it. Now, your career is far from over. Sometimes you get these awards when someone's career is winding down. You're you're not showing any signs of winding down, or do do you you know do we know something now that uh, maybe we didn't know before? Are you you deciding to retire? What's going on here? <laughs> well, no, no, I'm not retiring. But uh, obviously, the end is a lot closer than the beginning. But, uh, no, I mean, I still very much enjoy it. I still very much uh, am trying to improve, and uh, I try not to just kind of repeat myself, you know, again and again where it becomes a routine. So I'm trying to get better, and, uh, you know, I think I can carry on for a while. But who knows how long, but I think I can carry on. Now you've uh, you've covered UK for a long time, so I'm sure you've seen your fair share of honors and awards. People have enjoyed your coverage for a long time. Uh, when you found out that you had been named to the the W. Pitt Page School of Journalism and Mass Communication Hall of Fame, um, you know, did it take you by surprise? Uh, did you even know that such a thing existed? Because until a few years ago, they really hadn't done anything with the Hall of Fame. I had a vague knowledge that that it existed, and I believe Dave Wellman went in last year. He's somebody that I worked with at the Herald Dispatch, and so I was aware, but I didn't really, uh, you know, I didn't think about me being uh, inducted into the Hall of Fame. Uh, the, The first thoughts I had were just kind of a flood of memories of coming to Marshall in the fall of 1969, and, uh, and just uh, to have things evolve to where I'm going into the Hall of Fame is uh, is pretty hard to believe, to be honest with you. It wasn't something that I was aspiring to, that's for sure. I, I'm sure there are a lot of very worthy people that should be in there. And one thing I learned uh, and had to learn was uh, how much a pride uh, that the Marshall Journalism Department in journalism and in teaching it and that struck me almost right from the start of, you know this wasn't something uh, this wasn't a play thing this wasn't something uh, a trifling kind of thing it was something important and uh, and so I that was one of the many things I had to learn uh, right there at the beginning you've um, you've done it all for a long time how would you compare? what the school was like when you were there to what you know now of what it's become. If you could compare and contrast that a little bit for me. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I, I've been away for quite a while, since 1981. So I don't know how, uh, 
uh, you know, how precise I can be in, in trying to describe the way Marshall is now. I, I can tell you that uh, I had I was I was a student at Marshall when the football plane went down, and one of my good friends I li- I lived in South Hall I believe it's called it has a different name now, and uh, he was a manager on the team, and so we didn't know this was way before cell phones. We didn't know if he was on the plane or not. We just had to kind of wait around to see if he was uh, in the dorm on Sunday. And he was. He, uh, they drove the equipment in a truck, as you guys probably know. And so uh, uh, that, that uh, uh, I met up with him and his wife. I, I knew them uh, like 25 years later, something like that. And uh, they said, let's meet. Uh, we'll meet at the library. So I went to, they live in the Charleston area. And so I drove in from Lexington and I went to what the library was when I was a student. And, and someone had to tell me, well, there's a new library <laughs> and it's, uh, you know, across the way there. And so that's, uh, and they, my friends were waiting for me there. So that, that's, uh, that, that's a difference that comes immediately to mind from then and now. Jerry Tipton is our guest. He covers the University of Kentucky men's basketball program. He's been doing it since the 81-82 season. And, of course, during that time, you've seen a lot of championships, lots of victories. And uh, you couldn't land probably at a better job. Uh, A lot of people never get to cover a championship team. And Kentucky flirts with it on a yearly basis. Yeah, I feel very lucky. That's a good point. Uh, I think anybody that uh, fancies themselves as a writer, I try to be a reporter and a writer. And But if you want to be a writer, you obviously want people to read what you write. And uh, that's one thing I don't have to worry about because I know it's going to be read. And it's almost like having whatever our circulation is, however many thousands of people, uh, they're all copy editors because they're all looking at it very <laughs> very carefully and uh, parsing the words and uh, finding mistakes. And, it, it, you know, it's kind of a good thing. It's, it's a very good thing uh, in terms of trying to keep you on your toes and trying to do your job. And uh, it's also good in the sense of, uh, you know, having uh, the audience there that's really into it uh, that makes it a much more fun atmosphere to cover. And so, you know, it's kind of, uh, I feel fortunate in many ways to cover a team like uh, like Kentucky uh, because, as you guys know, uh, you know, you, you get the recognition factor really goes up when you're covering a team like that where other media people around the country might uh, be uh, paying more attention to what you're doing than they would be if you were covering another team. How difficult has that, or do you just crave that, that you're in a position where you're, you're covering UK, but in a sense, you're a national reporter. I mean, you, you carry that weight with you because of where you're at. And of course, you've got to be good to be able to do it since uh, 81, 82 when you started. So you just don't sit down, I'm going to cover Kentucky one day and do it. You have to actually be good to be able to just keep at it this long. But that's got to be, I mean, really just on a whole nother level as some of us will never experience knowing that, okay, I've got a great readership here for Kentucky 
but it goes beyond the state of Kentucky. People across the country, nationally, are reading what you have to say because it focuses on Kentucky, too, and you've established yourself, of course, as someone who can be trusted in what they say and what they write. Well, I don't really, you know, it's kind of interesting. I don't really think about it that way. I'm just kind of, I try to keep a pretty narrow focus on uh, what my beat is. And uh, I think they, uh, as I recall, and I do recall, uh, they taught us at the, the Marshall Journalism School that you're not the story, that the team is the story. And, I, and I, I've kept that in mind, and, uh, and I think that's a good thing. So I've tried not to, uh, you know, I just feel like I'm the person on the sideline covering I'm not the person in the arena, but I, I understand that, uh, you know, people after so many years, you're going to be identified with the degree. And, uh, it, it surprises me when that happens. Uh, and every once in a while, somebody will come up to me and they'll want to want, want to take a picture with me and things like that. And, you know, I, I always try to be gracious. I, I, I don't know if you guys, uh, Remember Kaywood Ledford? He was the uh, longtime radio voice of Kentucky. He uh, was sort of the Frank Gardenia of Kentucky, uh, only more so. With apologies to Frank, uh, and I remember watching him because he was an icon, and people would come up to him, and you could just see that they revered him, and he embodied the program. And he was unfailingly nice to them. You know, he took time to, you know, to be nice, to, to talk with them. And uh, that really made an impression on me. And I don't think of myself as uh, uh, an icon uh, the way Kaywood was. I've just been around a long time, which is a big difference. But I do try to follow Kaywood's example of, uh, you know, People are, you know, there, there, there are definitely critics out there that they express themselves, and that's fine with me. But, but unfailingly, the people are nice when they approach you, and I, I try to return that. I think that's important. Jerry Tipton's our guest, covering University of Kentucky men's basketball, also uh, named to the W.P. Page School of Journalism and Mass Communications. And you know, you, you've had a, a long career in You've seen a lot of people come after you, both locally and nationally. You brought up a good point there. Do you feel that maybe some of the uh, things that you taught, you were taught, people are maybe not getting taught as much these days? Because you bring up a great point. You're not the story. That's where you should start. You're not the story. And yet I feel like sometimes uh, we're guilty of this in the media as a whole, and maybe myself as well of sometimes interjecting ourselves into the story? Well, I try hard not to do that. And uh, that was something I was taught uh, at the Marshall Journalism School. I went to the school with no background in journalism. And, uh, and so I, I had to learn everything. And, uh, and that was one of the lessons they taught was, and uh, I took what they said to heart about not being the story. I don't think I fully understood it at the time. But over over the years, you, you kind of see the wisdom in that. And, of course, I think it's different with a columnist, where a columnist will, uh, the job, the definition is to, uh, to be, you can be the story. You, you give your opinion. 
And that can galvanize people that can, you know, bring about reaction. I don't give my opinion. I, I, and naturally, I have opinions, but I don't put them in the story. I, uh, I just don't. And so I'm not very, I'm not comfortable with when I, if there are times when people react to what you uh, write. And I'm not totally comfortable with that part of it. And uh, like this, uh, being inducted into the Marshall Hall of Fame, it kind of puts me in the spotlight, obviously. And, uh, you know, I'm not entirely comfortable with that. But I certainly understand it. I mean, I'm flattered to, to no end, of course. But, uh, uh, you know, it, it's a fine line, maybe. But like I say, uh, you know, people will sometimes say, uh, or I read about it, that uh, I have an agenda. And, and I always think, you know, I really don't have an agenda. I have my agenda, if I have one, is to try to cover my beat uh, the way I was taught at uh, Marshall's Journalism School and then since then uh, through experience, which the experience just sort of reinforced what I was taught at, uh, at the Marshall Journalism School. And one other thing, uh, as you guys know, the social media aspect of this has uh, kind of redefined things. Uh, there's much more uh, with Twitter and things like that. There's much more opinion being thrown around uh, by uh, straight news, not straight news, but uh, reporters. And I don't do that. I don't use the Twitter uh, to voice my opinion about anything because I don't think that's my role. I don't think I should do that. Jerry Tipton's our guest. He covers the University of Kentucky, also now a member of the W.P. Page School of Journalism and Mass Communications Hall of Fame. Now, I know uh, ceremony details haven't been finalized yet, but um, what are you looking most forward to uh, coming back? Uh, anything you plan on doing? Uh, anywhere you're planning on seeing, uh, taking the tour again? You know, w- What are you going to do when you get here, I guess is what I'm asking. <laughs> well, that's a good question, and of course, I think, like I said earlier, that just had this flood of memories uh, when I heard about this. And of course, I want to, uh, you know, I want to walk around campus. My wife uh, is going to be coming with me, I hope, and uh, and I want to show her South Hall. And uh, I think, yeah, like I say, I think it's called uh, something different now. But uh, that was home for four years. I had a lot of fun there, and. Uh, and, uh, you know, I know there's been a lot of change. I think the campus looks a lot different now than it did uh, back in the day. But uh, I want to, I you know, kind of give, uh, just kind of, I want to go to Ritter Park. I was talking to someone earlier today, uh, my publisher, the publisher of the Lexington Herald-Leader. Uh, he said uh, that he had applied for a job in circulation at uh, the Herald-Dispatch way back when. And I asked him if he had gone to Ritter Park because I thought it was such a nice uh, feature in Huntington. I think it's really, uh, really nice. And uh, he said he had. Uh, but I'd like to show my I, I know I've driven around uh, with my wife, but I'd like to uh, like to look at that again. And just kind of the old haunts of uh, places I went to and uh, that that were part of home. I lived in Huntington for 12 years, four as a student and then eight at the Herald-Dispatch. And, uh, you know, like I say, it's, it, there's kind of a homecoming aspect to it as well. 
It's got to be fun also coming back. Uh, Marshall's had some uh, some really nice athletic success as of late. The the bowl victory, of course, you always can talk about that. But Marshall getting to the NCAA tournament for the first time in a long time and then winning the first ever game in the NCAA tournament. So I'm sure there's a lot of things that uh, are going to be exciting for you as well. Or maybe this could be a uh, a ground that you're going to mine a little bit for some different stories from a different perspective. Well, I have an uncle. You know, it's kind of funny you mentioned about Marshall uh... – uh, of course, winning an NCAA tournament game for the first time. I was in Boise. Kentucky was playing uh, their first site for the NCAA tournament was in Boise, Idaho. And uh, But I was following Marshall, very much interested in, that, in hoping they would win that game. And I was thinking uh, that first game, and I was certainly hoping they'd win the second game. But uh, I had an uncle who had gone to Marshall, and he had helped me uh, – uh, he was kind of looking out for me, uh, and got me uh, helped in the process of enrolling at Marshall. And uh, anyway, I, I was thinking in Boise, boy, I wish he had lived to see this because uh, I know he would have taken a had taken a lot of pride in uh, Marshall winning an NCAA tournament game. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I don't know. Uh, I, I try to follow it. Uh, uh, we don't get a lot of Marshall games on TV here, but. Uh, I do try to keep up with you know how the teams are doing. I don't think a lot of fans get a lot of Marshall games on TV. You're not alone here with the way that the social media, as you mentioned, uh, digital streaming now. So you're not alone in that regard. It's, it's very hard these days to get anybody who's not on ESPN on TV. Well, I guess I'm, my, my, my vision is skewed a little bit because it seems like every Kentucky game's on TV, uh, basketball for sure. But, but football, too, in one form or another, most of them are on TV. So I guess I've, I'm just leaping to the conclusion that everybody's favorite team is on some TV channel. That, that's a good uh, reminder for me. Jerry Tipton's our guest. It's always good to catch up with you, definitely during uh, football and basketball season. But uh, fun today just to talk to you. Uh, again, it's, uh, it's a great honor, um, you know, since we're in that area here where, you know, we got a lot of Ohio State, Kentucky crossover, bleed over. It's always fun to to follow you and what the Wildcats are doing. And uh, you know, you've got probably one of the best beats in America for sure. And uh, you've been doing a great job for a long time. And uh, I'm excited for you. Uh, congratulations once again for being inducted into the. Uh, you add a lot of value to uh, what it means to be in this Hall of Fame just by your presence alone. Well, you're very kind. And- I was thinking that uh, you, know, you talked about, you know, what are you going to do when you come back? And one of the things I want to do is see Frank Gardenia. I haven't seen him in quite a while. Ralph Turner was an instructor in the journalism school that was a very uh, helpful uh, guiding me. And uh, I want to say hello. I wrote him an email. When this came up, it had been on my mind, but I just kind of spurred me to write him an email and thank him for uh for all that he had done, what a difference he had made in my life. And so that's part of uh, the thrill of it for me is, is to get a chance to see these people and, uh, and hopefully let them know, uh, you know, how grateful I am that uh, they were in my life. Jerry, good talking to you. Thank you. Appreciate your time on this. Uh, Looking forward to when you get back to Huntington, hopefully we can catch up with you then. And, uh, of course, yeah. uh, it's uh, it's always good to, to follow your coverage of the uh, the Wildcats, uh, especially with football uh, 
finally getting to a point where it's exciting again. And of course, basketball, there's always a story there. So uh, it never gets old and boring for you, I'm sure. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. It's a, I say that all the time. It's never boring, which is a good thing. Thanks for having me on. Thank you, Jerry. We appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Take care. That is Jerry Tipton. He, of course, a, a Thundering Herd graduate, 1973. Been covering the Kentucky Wildcats for the Lexington Herald Leader since 1981. And now he's going to be a part of the W. Pitt Page School of Journalism and Mass Communications Hall of Fame. And some of the other members, uh, we mentioned Frank Gardenia is in now. Frank, for many years, the voice of the herd for a lot of you. 1976 graduate. Also, uh, Andrea Billups, uh, who is a 1983 graduate. Uh, she's worked for the Washington Times and People magazine. Todd Markham, who is an 84 graduate, co-founder of Virginia award-winning advertising agency Access. And Betsy Alderman, 1979 graduate, earned a master's degree as well in 1981. And she headed the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga Department of Communication from 2010 until her retirement in 2016. So we hope to have a couple more of these folks on. Uh, of course, Jerry uh, and uh, Frank probably make the most sense for us only because of their sports background. But again, just to kind of give you an idea that Marshall University has a rich heritage and history in several departments, and that includes the W. Pitt Page School of Journalism and Mass Communication. A uh, lot of names that maybe you think that person went to Marshall and you're surprised pleasantly. Yeah, that's usually how it goes uh, with some of the folks that you maybe don't know necessarily they're Marshall grads until you find out. And Jerry, of course, being one of them, does a fantastic job. We're going to take our next time out. We come back. We'll get your phone calls in. 304-399-8255. Toll free is 877-420-8255. This is The Drive on ESPN 94.1 FM and AM 930. Don't worry, Paul Swan has the wheel on The Drive, ESPN 94.1 FM and AM 930. Welcome back to the Friday edition. It's May 11th. This is The Drive on ESPN 94.1 FM and AM 930. I'm your host, Paul Swan. Thanks for joining me. It's uh, been a fun week so far. we got a lot to get into this weekend, so we're going to start the... Eastern Conference, Western Conference Finals. We're going to have the majority of those games either right here on ESPN 94.1 FM and AM 930 or on Cat Sports 93.3 and 13.40. So we'll definitely bring you the Cleveland-Boston series. We're also going to take a look at what's happening in the Western Conference Finals. Uh, We'll carry uh, almost all of the uh, Houston games as well. And really you look at that series, you could be talking about Houston and maybe Cleveland and the finals. I would love to see that. I know LeBron James is due for a championship this year because every year Alabama wins a national championship. LeBron James wins a national championship. Have have you seen that meme? It's funny. It's true, but it's funny that when Nick Saban decides to win a championship, that that's like the okay for LeBron to win one or sort of that's, the sign that, oh, hey, this is LeBron's year. It's as if those two are connected somehow. It's just, it's funny to think about that. But we've got baseball coming up tonight. 7.05 first pitch is going to be San Francisco. And the Pirates will have that for you. We'll have a slew of hockey for you. 
and you can listen to that on our sister station, Cat Sports 93.3 and 1340. And you're going to have Washington and Tampa Bay going at it. And then you're going to have Vegas going up against Vancouver. I'm cool. That's cool. I'm not a Nashville fan to begin with, but I think that's cool because three of the four teams that are competing in the uh, the Eastern and Western finals, three of the four competing to get into the Stanley Cup itself have never won the Cup. So that's cool in itself there. But one thing that just caught my attention today, now I don't know if you really want to go down this path, but Tampa Bay, they are restricting fans from wearing certain items. Now, this isn't going to affect every single seat in the house. Let me qualify that. But there's going to be some different ticket restrictions. Now, this isn't new. This is not new at all. So when the Capitals come in, and the Lightning are hosting right now. They're hosting uh, the Capitals for Game 1 of the Eastern Conference Finals. Capitals fans will not be allowed to wear red or anything with the team's logos if their seats are in the Lightning's Lexus Lounge. Those include seats against the glass or in the Chase Club Luxury Suites. Uh, They're going to have to wear neutral colors. Here's what the team said. Fans wearing visiting team branded apparel will be asked to remove such apparel while in these areas. Now, obviously, Capital fans aren't going to flood the area to begin with. I mean, you're not going to see this huge surge of Washington Capital fans showing up. Tampa Bay is not going to allow anyone who doesn't live in Florida to purchase tickets through the team site or Ticketmaster, so that's going to limit those options. So they're already encouraging not to come. If you're not from Florida, you're not a Tampa fan, why bother, right? And here's what they said about that. Orders by residents outside of Florida will be canceled without notice and refunds given. Here's what Bill Wickett, the Lightning Executive Vice President of Communications, said. The measures are to enforce the representation of Lightning fans in the area. Quote, It's just an added measure to keep our building as blue as possible. What if this happened everywhere? What if this was the rule, not the exception? Could you imagine, say you're a a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. You want to go see the Steelers play the Cincinnati Bengals because, well, it's easier for you to get to Cincinnati you don't get a chance to get to Pittsburgh, and maybe you're closer. Maybe you're a fan in Ohio, and you just want to go see your team play and the two teams that are closest for you to go to, or Cleveland or Cincinnati. We'll use Cleveland as an example, probably even more of a situation. What if the Browns said, look, we're not selling any tickets to residents of Pennsylvania, or we're just restricting tickets? I think people lose their mind. Now, regular season, I don't think they would do that as much as a playoff. What if they did that for the playoffs? Like, okay, here's the deal. We're going to sell playoff tickets. We're playing the Steelers. But you got to be a resident of Ohio to get the playoff tickets. And 
in certain sections, club level, whatever, you can't wear your Steelers gear. You're going to be asked to, to just take that off, leave it at home. I just think that is – well, I, I see the advantages here for some fan bases. I just don't know if I'm all about that. If I want to go see – say I'm a Marshall fan and I want to go see the Thundering Herd go play – Say Western Kentucky. Let's use them as the example. What if Western Kentucky decided, you know what, no, we're going to restrict fans and you can't buy tickets. And if you do, you can't wear herd gear in certain places. Close to the floor or whatever. You can can wear wear them in the rafters, but you can't wear that. That's just not sensible. That doesn't make sense at all. Now, I think what happens here is you're making a, a bigger story out of nothing now because how many Capital fans are really going to show up and go to Tampa Bay? Maybe a few. I know some roving fans. They love their team. They're going to travel. But I think it's cool sometimes to have visiting fans in the building. I like looking over and seeing the opponent. We don't see that enough. You're looking at Marshall football, you see those empty visiting seats or you see the fans just don't travel and you scratch your head and you're thinking, well, this isn't that far of a game for them to travel. I'm looking at you, Miami of Ohio. I'm looking at you, Red Hawks. How do you not show up and root for your team? And then you get to the place and it's like, no, you can't wear that. Why not? Let them wear that. I I want to have some some fans in the building that aren't fans of my team. I want to have that interaction. It's fun. This is supposed to be fun. Uh, now, they're going to sell out. That's fine. They're not going to hurt from this. They're going to make money. But I I like the fact that when people come, my building, my fans, people like my fans. I like it when people say, hey, you know, we came to Huntington. We saw a Marshall game. Fans were great. We loved it. Thanks for Thanks for everything. I like hearing that. I like having a tough environment for the opponent. I love that. But you can do it and still be cool because it just speaks well. It's different in the pro. I know we're comparing pro to college, and maybe that's not the right comparison. I'm sure right now a lot of Reds fans are sitting there thinking, man, I wish we could do this when the Cubs are playing the Reds. I get sick and tired of seeing more Cubs fans in Great American Ballpark than Reds fans. Well, my answer to you there is uh, win more games, for one. But another is don't sell your tickets to Cub fans. You don't want to see that. And that's the thing. A lot of these tickets are getting sold by fans of your team to fans of the other team because they want to make a buck. Why do you think there's ticketed services that uh, are making a profit off this stuff? Because the secondary market is uh, where a lot of fans sell their tickets because they can afford the games they want to go to. I mean, that's how a lot of season tickets are. Not maybe necessarily college level, but at the pro level, you get your season tickets and then you pony up a couple of tickets from the real big games that your season ticket. I think Steeler fans get tickets to a lot of places because as a fan, I would know that, you know what, I want to go see the Bengals play. I'm going to buy a season ticket package, 
It's a little pricey for me, but I can make some of that back by putting my Steeler game tickets on resale. I can make that cash back and then some, and that's a good chunk of my season ticket. That's what happens here. But this is direct sales, of course, and I just think that's it's it's not fun at all. Have some fun here. Or do a better job of making sure that your fans buy the tickets. I really don't think it's going to ruin the representation if another fan is in your building sporting the opposing team. I mean, that's not cool at all. I like, I like having the fans in. I like having the opposing team in. Especially if your team's not doing well and, and they're, they're talking junk and having a good time and then your team does better and they're talking junk and having you know. You, you get where I'm going with this. Quick timeout. We come back. We're going to wrap this one up. This is The Drive. I'm your host, Paul Swan, ESPN 94.1 FM and AM 930. You're listening to The Drive with Paul Swan on ESPN 94.1 FM and AM 930. Some brief news today from Marshall. Soccer schedule's out. If you're following the men, they've got a really interesting non-conference schedule. Uh, they're going to take on Duquesne, Oakland. They've got Ohio State, Dayton, Virginia, Butler, Fort Wayne, Northern Kentucky, and Wright State. These are their non-conference opponents. Virginia and Butler are participants in the 2017 NCAA Men's Soccer Tournament. Virginia entered as the number 11 team in the country. Uh, they lost to Fordham in the second round. Uh, Butler defeated Lipscomb and VCU before being eliminated by Wake Forest in the third round. I like it. It's tougher. Conference schedule, of course, uh, usual suspects are on that. But playing Ohio State and Dayton, that's pretty cool. You get to play them uh, in Dayton, part of that Dayton tournament. Of course, you know Conference USA – Soccer membership is a little different than Conference USA football membership. Road trip to South Carolina conference play. Got to go to play New Mexico and Albuquerque. Okay, that'll be a fun road trip there. And, of course, they're going to play uh, Kentucky and Lexington. You want more details, uh, they've got it up on the website right now, herdzone.com. That's going to do it for this edition. Back on Monday, we'll be back at the Union Pub and Grill. Miss Herb in the game this week. You get to see them again. So we'll see you Monday at the Union. For our producer tonight, one Gabriel Sullerts. Want to thank Jerry Tipton for joining us. I'm Paul Swan. This has been the Drive on ESPN 94.1 FM and AM 9:30. Good night, everyone. Station.